0: Shear currently stars on the FX series, The League, co-stars on the ABC sitcom Fresh Off the Boat, as well as the Hulu comedy series, The Hot Wives, which he also executive produces. Along with his longtime comedy buddy, Rob Hubel, Shear produced and co-hosted his first all-star comedy special, Crash Test, which is based on their long-running live show at the UCB Theater in Los Angeles. We talked about that, Human Giant, NTSF, how this got made, and much more that even Shear himself hadn't thought about in a while. So let's get to it. So Paul Scheer, welcome welcome to Last Things First.
1: I am very excited to be here. And technically, you're here with me in my hotel room. This is the first time I've ever done a podcast in a hotel room that's mine. I feel like, uh, I feel like uh, you really get to see the way I live. Yeah. <laughs> for people who are not at home, it's all gold. It's Donald Trump-style room that overlooks uh, everything in the city. This is actually a very nice hotel that we're in. I yes, feel it like. is. I don't normally stay in nice hotels like this. But uh, Stevie Wonder is here Would downstairs. <laughs> Sincerely, he's, every day I've walked into this hotel, there's tons of paparazzi out front. I'm like, who are you guys here for? And they're like, oh, Stevie Wonder. And, and I've seen him in the lobby just hanging out just hanging in the lobby. And there's not much in the lobby to like, it's not like a seating area Mm -hmm. or anything. He's Stevie just likes to hang out in the lobby and greet meet and greet.
0: So when was the first time you felt VIP treatment like this?
1: Oh, wow. That's a good question. The first time it's always like so memorable. I feel like the first time I remember the first time I ever flew first class as a child and it was the best. Um, it was an overnight flight from California to New York and, uh, we got bumped up my dad and i got bumped up and uh and i wouldn't go to sleep because i wanted to like enjoy <laughs> everything you could enjoy in first class and i actually still feel like that i'm like i gotta i gotta use this blanket i gotta use this pillow i gotta like watch five movies i really i really try to embrace everything in that uh whenever i get a little bit of vip i'm like i gotta i gotta take this i gotta take this all in that's good i try
0: well would you would you describe the crash test yes. special currently out on demand on vimeo yeah would you describe that as a, as a first-class experience? Well, I
1: mean, it's a first-class experience uh, if, you, uh, if you like riding a bus with uh, 50 strangers and watching uh, comedians. Uh, yeah, you know, actually, I would. You know, so we did this special crash test, which is right. based on a show that Rob Hubel and I did at UCB. Really, we started it back in 2005 with Aziz Ansari. And I loved uh, this show because it was unlike other shows. It wasn't a stand-up show. It wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't an improv show. It was kind of a merger of both. It had bits and characters and sometimes music and specialty acts. So we've been doing this show now for, like I said, since 2005, probably even a little bit earlier. And in that time, we've sent people out on dates. We've done dating games. We've taken money from the audience. We've all gone out to eat. We've done like all these kind of stunts, but no one knows about it. It's an 11 o'clock show on a Monday night. That's always sold out, but it's a very small little thing. And we always joke like we got to do something big with this show. You know, this audience is so good. We got to treat you guys good. You know what? I'm you know, it's it's late. These comedians don't want to come out here because it's so late. Let's go to them. We're going to get you guys on a bus. Let's go to them. And we just always joke about this bus. And we like looked into renting a bus and it was like prohibitively expensive and nothing kind of worked out great. And then I was in New York City. And I saw this bus in Times Square. And this bus in Times Square is a glass, beautiful, like the most beautiful state-of-the-art bus you can possibly imagine. I, it was built. I've seen it. Yeah. It's specifically built f- as like a tourist ride. It's, it's called, it's the, called ride. the ride. Yeah. It's called the ride, yeah. And it's so instead of facing the driver, all the seats are turned facing one of the walls of the bus, but that wall of the bus is completely glass, and it kind of goes up glass. So when you're driving around New York city, the streets become the stage and there's, you know, and there's a host on the bus, but the streets become the stage. And I came back from New York and I said to Rob, I, I found the bus. I, have a, I got the bus. And then we let that kind of drop. And, and then this guy from red hour, Mike Rosenstein approached uh, Red at red hours, Ben Stiller's company. Okay. And they always are kind of a little bit on the forefront of doing cool things in comedy. They do meltdown and they do uh, another period. And then next time on Lonnie big time in Hollywood, Florida. And he's like, I always hear you guys talking about this bus. Let's get you that bus. And I was like, really? And and we shipped this bus out to LA. That was the pretty much the entire budget of our special. But the mm-hmm. state of the art bus that costs millions of dollars. It's full of LEDs. There's speakers. It's an insane bus. You know, it's seats and like well, of course seats is not a, a a really high quality feature on a bus, but it's a pretty amazing experience and so we have this like amazing bus we put our audience on it and then we did my style or our style of comedy show on that bus because i'm not a stand-up and i feel like there hasn't been a lot of comedy specials that aren't just stand-up specials and i feel like there's always these variety shows that are like a throwback to like these 1950 things and they look cheesy and and it's like why are we aping that like where's the next version of that so um, that was kind of the impetus and everything. And so, yeah, I would say it's a first-class experience. I, I mean, it's a VIP bus.
0: Who was is, who is the last person who either you got to agree to be
1: part of the tour
0: or who was part of the tour but then you had to cut them out for some reason?
1: Well, I'll give you two things. We lost somebody on the tour very last second, and that person was Nick Thune. Oh, His Nick. wife went into labor, and, and he had to... Go to the hospital and, and deliver that baby, uh, not himself obviously, but <laughs> watch as someone delivers that baby. It was so funny because we we were all ready for him and mm-hmm. he was like, "Guys, I gotta go." And we're like, "Oh, yeah, of course, of course." And I think there was even a thought, and it's kind of like the typical pre-father thought, like, "Well, if I get that done in time, I can still run over and do a five-minute set." And we're like, "Don't worry, please, don't worry about it. Go, go. Do you like? No, no. Have your like. I think he felt so bad that." He was canceling out on us, like an hour before he was supposed right. to come. We're like, we don't care.
0: For for a second, I thought you were gonna say that you had that that typical comedian thought: is, well, maybe we can go to the hospital. Oh
1: man, that we yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we should have done that. That would have been great. You see, where were you there? You should have been in our pre pre pre-produc- production things. And we also we cut out somebody that I think is super funny, um, Billy the Mime. Oh yeah, yeah. So Billy Mime, super funny guy. Um, he does dirty miming. And uh, it's extraordinarily funny. And I thought it would be, I was really passionate about this. I was like, wouldn't it be great to put a mime, like a, in that variety show space, was like to have a mime do this, wouldn't that be great? And it was great in live, in the live moment of it. But it's also for it to be fulfilling. It's like a four minute thing with no breaks and there's no interaction from Rob and I. And, and, it, and it wound up, slowing down the pacing of the show because uh, he did this thing called The Life and Death of Anna Nicole Smith. And what you can imagine, a mime version of that, you know, this woman with a buxom woman who then, you know, starts stripping and then marries an old man then gets into drugs and then dies. Like, it was a very dark piece. But it just, I realize why miming is tough to do on TV. Muppets pulled it off with Mum and Shantz. We were not as uh, smart about it. Uh, and then we also cut out um, Odd Future. We had the full group of Odd Future. We have oh. Earl Sweatshirt in the special. He does, like, an improvised music video. But we were pulling up into the Odd Future Carnival, which was this ama- like this amazing, They do this thing. I, I love Odd Future for what they represent, Like kind of like this new... Wu Tang, like you know, and um, they put on this carnival. So they bring in a full carnival and they perform. So it's like a mini Bonnaroo. We pulled our bus in there, and there was a little bit of a miscommunication because they were supposed to come out and fire paintballs at our bus. Oh, that but our bad. camera guy was supposed to jump out and preset himself to get the shot of oh. it. Th- we pulled in. The cameraman didn't have enough time to get out. They ran out with the paintball guns. They doused the bu- the bus in paintballs and. We have no footage of it, so you just see like Rob and I, just get l- it doesn't even really look like paintballs because we have no coverage of it. it just looks like the windows are getting hit with something, and so that w- it, we put a lot of these like little cutout moments in the uh, closing credits. But uh, yeah, so we cut out some stuff and we lost some. People. Did you ever have any tour bus experience? You know what? As a matter of fact, I did. That's a good question. No one's asked me that. Um, we did. That's why you
0: did this podcast.
1: Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's like it, uh, it, it, that it's I did a show that never aired on TV called Make My Day. And it was a positive reality prank show. So the whole idea was we would find out all the stuff about you and then create your perfect day. But you'd have hidden cameras. You wouldn't know you're on camera. And it would just be like an amazing day. that's a pretty cool show. And one of the um, ones that we did, I was the host of a New York City tour bus. This is so funny. I've never thought about this in years. Um, And it was called, my, my bit was called star fishing. So it was like the, like I dressed like a fisherman and I had a fishing pole and my whole thing was like, Oh, we're going to go star fishing today in New York city. Who are we going to find? Who are we going to find? And of course we had rigged it that there were famous people around that we could interact with, but because it was a reality show and, uh, we had to kill a lot of time. So I, the first day before we did the thing on the show, I sat with a New York City tour bus driver, a double decker bus driver, and he gave me all these tips. He's like, "You gotta duck every time you go under a uh, traffic light because you know I, you can get hit in the head." He was like, "If you ever hear a fire engine go off, you gotta go. Oh, I guess my wife must be cooking again." You know, he's like, "These are the jokes that he was giving me." And uh, and I actually for like a, a couple hours one day did a full. I had to kind of keep it real, too, because it was a real, you know, this girl thought that she was on a real tour. Yeah. So um, and we starfished Mario Lopez and we got Mario Lopez oh. on the bus and she was a big Save by the Bell fan. And, and then the odd thing about that uh, this weird tangential thing was that he was on the bus and they're supposed to stay on the bus until a certain point. And then we had rigged it that they would both get off the bus. But Mario Lopez decided he would get off the bus before that. And he took her by the hand, got off the bus. And disappeared, and we lost our mark, and we lost Mario for, I would say, a good two and a half hours. We didn't know mm. where they went, and Wonder it was always a question happened. of what happened in that two and a half hours with uh, Mario Lopez. Mm.
0: We'll have to get some Throwback Thursday footage
1: and find mm. out. Yeah.
0: Well, I asked because uh, when I lived in Seattle in the 90s, I was doing short-form improv. Okay. And at the same time, I got a job working at the Space Needle as oh an wow. elevator operator. Okay. Because the Space Needle decided they wanted to hire all of these improv Amazing. people. Amazing. I'm i loving this And already. it's the same kind of yeah. job where you're just dealing with tourists. So they
1: just wanted you to keep the elevator ride fun.
0: Well, at the time, they were charging $9 okay. for a ride. I think they're charging more than twice that now. But oh, they, wow. wanted they wanted people to get an experience for the minute and a half
1: that they were riding Excellent. the elevator. So what would be your bits in the Space Needle?
0: Well, uh, I... I had a topical one. Remember, this is the late '90s. Sure, where, of course, yeah, no judgments. Where I slipped into a voice much like uh, Billy Bob Thornton in Sling Blade. Okay, got it. Love it. already. Uh, sometimes I would uh, do a tribute to Willy Wonka.
1: I love this all, <laughs> uh, and so you that so you would do a little like uh, like you know, imagine the people that like that kind of like that like that's great. I would sometimes love Sometimes a
0: song. That. Sometimes I would learn uh, twelve different languages to say hello. And okay, I love all that. Yeah.
1: A minute and a half is, a, is probably the most intense uh, performing experience you have to get them. You got to win them over, and you got to leave them wanting more. It's a lot. It's a lot there was care. also a
0: lot of working the working the line because lines could get hours oh, okay. long. Oh, that's fun. Um, but what I what I love well I love lots of things about your comedy story, but but one of the things that's interesting to me is that you're known as a UCB
1: guy, but yeah. you
0: started out before you got into
1: comedy before that yeah I started out doing a show called uh, Chicago City Limits and I was in high school and my dad and I my parents are divorced and I would hang out in the city with my dad on weekends and it would be like a cultural relevancy project every week and we would go and do cool stuff my dad very cool introduced me to Saturday Night Live and different movies and Animal House and all that sort of stuff my dad was like a real comedy guru and um, we saw in the paper Chicago State Limits, comedy improv. I didn't know what that was. He didn't know what that was. We went in. We saw it, it was like a very cheap ticket, and I was like, "Whoa, this is amazing!" Like I just said, you know, "Doctor," and then they did a scene where they said, "Doc," you know, like I was. It was that Wayne Brady, you know, you know, yeah. from doing it. And it's mad for me. It was a magical thing, and I was like, "I want This is what I want to do. I want to do that." And I never had felt like because it, it just felt like acting but not like how it's like by the seat of your pants and so um i joined up in to, to classes while i was mm-hmm. in high school but at that point i'm the youngest person i'm like 14 years old you know taking classes in this thing where it's all adults mean it's new york city it was over on 77 second street here and uh i would lie until i was a freshman in college because even that i was young but you know and i remember one of the most embarrassing moments of that was i um went out with the whole class afterwards and like somebody smoked a joint brought a joint out and started smoking a joint and i was like is he is he smoking a joint <laughs> i was a very sheltered <laughs> life you know and i was like, and they're like yeah and i was like hey, what wh- wh- what do you mean i they, i was so like they're like yeah it's fine so they it would be <laughs> like you know and it was like it, and i and i did not play it cool at all but i did pretend that i was in uh, college and I, I certainly wasn't and I actually bumped into one of those people much later when I was actually in college and they were just kind of blown away by that fact but yes so Chicago St. Lyman started that in high school taking classes there stopped after like one year because I was in high school and I didn't give a shit anymore and then uh, and then I came back when I went to college and okay. I remembered it and I was like we well, want to do this so I took classes again and I got into their touring company I was the youngest member at that point in their touring company people behind me that kind of followed up were like Tara Copeland and Eugene Cordero and Danielle Schneider. All these like people uh, Andy Daly was there, of course, and uh, a bunch of people. And um, and it was great. We would tour around the country and I, I went to NYU. So I would leave town on Friday mornings because there was no classes at NYU on Friday. And I tour Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come back for class on Monday. So my whole college experience was just hanging out with these again, very much older people and doing short form improv I was blown away it was so much fun we performed all over it was great and then one night someone said to me let's check out this other thing this UCB went up to like a fifth floor walk up there was like eight people in the crowd and I saw ASCAP for the first time and I think the first time I saw ASCAP like Tina Fey and Adam McKay were like the two guests that were performing and like again I had that same sensation of being like blown away I was like oh my god that's what I want to do. And then very shortly after, uh, as you, I took classes there, and uh, we started doing shows, and the UCB opened their first theater, and part of that theater was filling content. They needed content. So I started performing almost every night of the week, but perform every night of the week, I couldn't do Chicago State Limits, which I was getting paid for, and, and well.
0: I was going to say, you probably made money with Chicago.
1: Yeah, because we were touring around the country, and we are getting, you know, y- y- for all the bad things of it, like sharing a room and... You know, and being in a bus with people for, you know, two weeks at a time, it was it was a good pay. And I quit Chicago City Limits, not knowing where my next check would be. And I started going to UCB and doing shows there for free, still to this day for free. And uh, it was the best decision I ever made. Well, UCB had the TV show at the time, right? Uh, but this pre. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, no, you're right. they they had 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 their tv show before they had they opened their theory right yeah yeah, i remember them yes i remember taking classes when they got their tv show yeah and then i started doing extra work on ucb tv show and i would do extra work every day pretty much and um, i think if you watch every i feel like i'm an extra in every single scene every single scene that there's a group in the first season of the ucb show i am in i can point to you where i'm at ask pennies i'm in it uh, 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 Hong Kong Suicide Squad. Uh, I was in it. I I did so much extra work there, and and far, far background work. I mean, <laughs> as pennies, I'm so far in the background. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but it's me. It's me and this other guy playing golf. I was there. I was there for every single scene. And I finally got a line at one point. Uh, one little line.
0: So, what did your dad think about that when he could see you as an extra um, on TV after? All you this know, cultural relevance. You
1: know, it's interesting because my dad has always been incredibly supportive of me. Like he, like he allowed me when I was doing Chicago City Limits. Like my dad worked in the Bronx. We, I worked in his pharmacy, and I would take the six train down. And the, the six train in Gun Hill Road is like Co-op City. So that's like a, I wouldn't say. I mean, not like dangerous, but it wasn't like it. Yeah, it was a little. Da- I mean, it was a little dangerous. It wasn't ever dangerous to me because I was like too young and dumb to like. I was confident enough to get on the subway. But here I am, like this Long, I- Long Island kid in the middle of the Bronx, getting on the sixth train, taking from the top of the Bronx all the way down to Wall Street to take these classes for Chicago State Limits. So my dad was always like letting me do an experiment with cool stuff, and I think he was excited about it. My dad was uh, is uh, so supportive, and he would come to UCB and see all the shows. Everyone knew my dad because. My dad would come and hang out. This was before he got remarried, and then he, uh, then you know, seeing shows every day of the week was probably a little bit more out of the question. Right.
0: <laughs> was was working at the dad's pharmacy was that your last day job?
1: Oh no no I had a uh, when I was working at when I was doing shows at UCB I had this d- my last like day job day job probably was because I did a lot of freelance work i right. think when you you know when you're trying to be an actor here you're working it's like oh we have got this one thing and you use that you know that one day to kind of fulfill you for like two weeks um my last day job was at this place called arnell brand consulting and arnell brand consulting from this is my impression of it i don't know if it's true or not uh, i'm ray-ban and i come to them and i go look we ray-ban needs to get some more social relevance like what do we do and they go we're gonna get you know, um, we're going to get Britney Spears to wear Ray-Bans and we're going to do an ad campaign with Britney Spears. Or we're going to get Mike Myers to wear Ray-Bans in this new movie. Like they, like, so they were like a product placement. Like it was, uh, I don't understand exactly <laughs> what we did. I worked in the accounting department, which is okay. a joke, because I have, I'm the worst in math. I never had a desk and no one ever assigned me a single job. I was never assigned anything to do, so I worked at that place. I got paid fifteen dollars a year after the. I'm oh, sorry, fifteen dollars an know. hour. Sorry. <laughs> and I worked there for a year. Got a raise to twenty dollars. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, crazy. Like, and I never did anything but walk around this office floor. And one of my moments that was the most memorable to me was, I uh, at one point, I said, "Hey, you're not doing anything. Go in there and have lunch with this girl." And keep her company because she's, like, lonely. And I'm okay. And it was Britney Spears. And I, I sat with Britney Spears and ate a sandwich with her. And we had, like, the, the most benign small talk. But at that point, she wasn't really the Britney. Like, like, it was only, like, six months later. I was like, oh, that's Britney Spears. Like, you know, she was doing Tommy Hilfiger ads at that point. So you it was know?
0: post- musketeer Club, but pre yeah, it she, was was like a, she, n- she was not
1: a girl, but not yet a woman. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I got to see Britney at that little moment.
0: So when you have a perfect job or a job like that, that's so perfect for an actor, comedian, mm-hmm. what were you doing? What was your your big break that made you go? I, I can feel comfortable getting rid of this. Well, nothing job.
1: Here's the thing. I I was fired eventually <gasps> from that job because um, as with anything, when no one gives a shit about what you're doing, you stop giving a shit about you like. So I would like get into work hours late and I would then take an hour lunch break and then I would. I there was nothing for me to do. And and then I just started taking days off to do extra work on UCB, which I wasn't getting paid for Uh, my extra work there. I was just getting free food, you know, so Comedy Central non union, you know, you got to love it. And uh, so Again, I was doing free work for UCB um, and I uh, and started not showing up. And this one guy brought me in the head, the new head of the office. He's like, and I just want to see, like, what do you do here? And I was like, what do I do? What do I do? I mean, what don't I do? And, and you know, and, and of course, I had nothing to do. I, I was like, I organized the file one time and he was like, all right. He's like, we're going to i have to let you go and i put up such a stink that i got a month severance package from this place because like i mean because I, I was like i i need to be compensated so i got a month severance from a job where i did nothing where i actually made more of my severance than i did even working there because i was working there so scattershot i'd be like come in at 11 sometimes come in at one leave at four it was ridiculous i had nothing to do
0: so you're a shrewd negotiator.
1: I did. I, I look. That was that was one of the highlights of my uh, negotiating career. That I got that severance package.
0: Did you did you feel comfortable with your comedy career after that month ran out? Um, like, no, no, I don't need to find anything. Or?
1: No, I mean, I know I don't think I ever have felt totally comfortable with my comedy career at that point. Like then, you, you know, that like kind of that work kind of segued into Conan work, and Conan work was. Great, because you'd come on Conan and you do a bit and you'd sit around all day and you'd hang out with amazing people and Brian Stack and Andy Blitz. And uh, and then all these used to be people. And, you know, maybe you'd have a line, maybe you'd just be an extra. You just do these bits. And that was good money. And you get residuals. And then that was really good. And then I guess my first break, like, quote unquote, break was um, Best Week Ever. Getting yeah, to say that's week the ever.
0: first time I remember seeing you was on. Yeah, best so week ever, and the other VH1 talking show. Yeah, so
1: shows. that became, oh, cool, and uh, and that 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 started because best week ever begat human giant, and human giant then begat the league, and then the league, be, you know, it's like everything kind of everything kind of fell into place after that.
0: Uh, with the right now, one of your your fortes is is having fun with genre. Yeah, whether it's NTSF or the hot wives franchise. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's the first thing that that you have to make sure you nail when you're taking on a
1: genre? Well, to me, and this is what I like—at least the way I approach it when I'm writing it. Like Donna and Danielle may approach this differently for Hot Wives. I love the way that they do it, but um, I don't know if we have the same approach. My my op- my opinion is always—and no, actually, I, I take that back. I, I, I know that they actually feel this way. My opinion is this. It's not a parody. You're not doing scary movie. You're, you're parodying a genre. You're not parodying something necessarily specific. You may be getting inspiration from something specific, but the show needs to exist and have a drive that is of a real show. And I can speak to that in the sense of NTSF. And I am not saying it's like high art, but these characters have to have three dimensions. They have to have personalities. You have to kind of create something because if you don't have that, it just becomes a series of jokes that kind of become a sketch, and then it goes away really quick. And and uh, not to slam like scary movies and stuff like that. They're really funny for what they are. But if you're gonna come back week after week, y- you know, you know, it's so y- it's like it's a, yeah it's so it's like you need to have something more. You need to you need to have a reason. I think Donna and Danielle do a great job and hot wives because they're doing half hour shows that are telling a full story and you're following these stories so it's it's really you know for me what i love about it is sometimes like i just want to live in that world i want to live in the 24 ncis world I, and and i think donna and danielle want to live in that hot wives or that housewives kind of culture and that kind of cattiness so it's like i, I think it stems from just the want to be in that that place and then but i think you attack it ta- ta- like a regular show i mean that's in at least in my opinion
0: well right because i know saturday night live has had admi- many famous recurring sketches and then they've had varying success translating that to film because yeah. you like well it works in 4 minutes at a time but then how do you do it over
1: the course of yeah you have to kind of minutes. yeah it's like it's you got to ground you know they have to be grounded and i, I think yeah so it's it's you know, like even Burning Love, I think did a great job of that. You know, I mean they all did. Like I think, you know, everything like Children's Hospital is like a genre parody as well. Like there's a lot of genre parody. Uh, but the reason that makes them stay around and not just a parody is because you're not just saying, Remember that thing, here's that other thing. You might and, and look, and N T S F we definitely aped things from bigger movies, but it wasn't like that wasn't the hat that we were hanging everything on. You know, it's like you can homage things.
0: Speaking of homages, some of uh, my favorite things, I don't know if you do them anymore, mm-hmm. but when you used to perform at the Del Close Marathon. Oh, yeah. Homages to Match Game yes, and uh, To oh. Catch a Predator. Yeah,
1: well, the, To Catch a Predator was like a John Gemberling idea, which I was very happy to host with Chris Hansen, which I think they asked me to do it after the Human Giant sketch where we did our To Catch a Predator sketch. So that was so much fun and Match Game. But Match Game. <laughs> match Game was one of the like, one of those rare shows that is like one of the highlight shows in my mind because del close marathon obviously is this marathon it's like a 72 hour my god probably even longer now marathon where it's just improv 24 hours a day and matching when it first started first or second year of the del close marathon we did it for 10 years i think it still happens now too i just don't do it um, it, it, like, it was like a two or three o'clock in the morning slot and we recreated the match game and it was like a match game from the 70s and I played Gene Rayburn and then you just had this cast like these 12 people on stage the funniest people you can imagine all doing the most insane caricatures of like Leonard Nimoy and Burt Reynolds and it was a drunk show which is like everyone's a little bit more looser is a little bit more vile and it just kept on growing and growing and growing and to a certain point that one year Brooke Shields was actually a contestant in match game playing Brooke Shields. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and we had, you know, people And Jack McBrayer became like the perennial um, target. uh, target. He was a contestant on the show. Like he was the person we bring on as a contestant. It was an improvised match game, but it just became a a chance to abuse Jack. The audience got into abusing Jack and it would just be like when you hit that match game music for people to write down their answers. It would become fist fights and people whipping out their balls it, it sounds like the most juvenile thing ever but it was the, the most fun and and holds the most high regard in my uh in and everything yeah
0: and what was it like the first time you did that
1: well the first time we did it it was way more down the center it was like it was me hosting like six contestants it, i think it was probably all respecto which was at that time my r- improv group and we took two audience members and we just played match game and then the next year we were like, well, you know, those audience members kind of suck. Let's just get like people playing audience members and let's add a couple more people to the panel. And then it was like, well, let's add a couple more people to the panel. And let's, you know, it just kept on growing and growing. It it was the perfect kind of organic improv heightening. It didn't start as a crazy show. And then every year it became what's going to happen at Match Game? What's going to happen at Match Game? I remember like towards the end before I stopped doing it, uh, the uh, the crowd would be like chanting, like match game, match game, because I would always tell people stay stay until 2:30 stay until 2:30 I think you're going to like what happens at 2:30 and and you and people would stay cuz they're getting tired and then it became a thing that people made a point to stay for because it was so insane and also you were seeing the most insane people do crazy stuff I and mean, you know a- everyone was doing something bizarre Chad Carter was playing a dolphin it was drinking beer Horatio was playing music it was it was a clusterfuck drunk show amazing fun time
0: oh no it's 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 still one of the highlights oh, it was for great me great of, great. of any Del Close Marathon I've was been to. so fun. <laughs> <laughs> was, that, was that what attracted June to you? Was yeah, seeing you in that, that element?
1: You know, it's funny. My relationship with June is really interesting. My June's my wife, and um, June did a show at UCB Theater called uh, Road Hard Put Away Wet, which was a show that Owen Burke, who was the artistic director at UCB at the time, he kind of, Owen Burke was like the um, wartime consigliere, uh, consigliere from uh godfather like he he took the ucb when we were homeless didn't have a home and kind of got it back on its feet um and program shows and at that point he was trying to find all these different shows to kind of make ucb as we launched under a feel like this really well-rounded theater so he found casey wilson and june's show um uh through nyu and so june was an nyu student who i think had she always gets mad at me because I always say you didn't. You're not a UCBer, but she is a UCBer. She <laughs> is. She took classes. She did a Herald. I don't view her as that because I think of anyone as a UCBer that I perform with for like ten years. But in your class, it, kind of like cla- in school, like, exactly. Part of your class. And so like, she was a UCBer. She was not in my world of. I didn't know. Like, there's, there's, I think when I what I always get defensive of, or not defensive of, is like, well, we didn't like. We weren't like seeing each other for 10 years and then we decided to go out like she, uh, you know, we weren't in each other's sphere until the very end, until we started dating. So like she brought that show over there and she was doing some stuff at UCB and I, we just kind of met that way. But I don't I really don't even think and this is very true to this day. Junas is one of the best supports in my life uh, and, and does everything amazing. But like I don't think that she like would come out to see Respecto shows or like anything. I don't think that she saw those shows. I think she knew I did shows, but it wasn't like we never, you know, it wasn't like our relationship was built on like, "Oh, I think you're so funny." It was like I think we just kind of had this other thing. So how did that get made then? How did that get made? Uh, <laughs> you know, we when I first met her, we were both kind of dating other people. We both gotten out of long-term relationships. We had like, like a gentle flirtation that then Didn't quite culminate. We had a date that, like, she got too drunk to go on, and and then I was like, okay, and then that kind of went away. Then I started dating somebody else, and she started dating somebody else, and we kind of were always in touch. And then she broke up with that person. I had kind of gotten out of that relationship, and we kind of met up. And then when we met up, it was this thing that was like, uh, you know, look, I'm married to her now uh, for. five or six years and we've been together for like 11 years. So it's it clearly worked. But when we met, it was like, oh, I am in like we are connected. And and it was something that we both didn't necessarily want at the time, I think. And but there was no it was like we had known each other forever and it was just awesome. So we um, yeah, we moved out to L.A. together and uh, very early on into our relationship, not in the same house or anything like that. But our relationship really for me. Started in L.A. when I moved out to L.A., which is about 2005.
0: Do you think that the UCB slash improv philosophy of, of teamwork first and suppo- the support the st- supports structure of the UCB system helps relationships?
1: Well, I think that personal relationships. Improv- yeah, I mean, I think that the UCB is responsible for everything kind of good in my life because I they think they've given me. Uh, some of my best friends, some of my most amazing opportunities uh, to do what I do and and uh, and a place to kind of perform on a weekly basis. Um, does it give me anything in my relationship? Probably not. I mean, you know, like uh, I mean, I don't think my relationship with June uh, benefits from UCB. Uh, yeah. Not like not my interpersonal relationship no. with her. no. But I mean, that's not a bad thing. I mean, you know, it's not like, how your Hollywood couple survives. While yeah, and not show like business we yes end each other. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I don't think that. Yeah, we heighten each other. No, I think it gives us a a language that we share. But I think that's also just a language of the two people who find each other funny. So, yeah, I, I would say UCB has given me everything, but not it doesn't it doesn't improve my relationship. <laughs> <laughs> what about your relationship with with sports? Having been a part of the league for yeah six seasons yeah it's we're in our seventh and final Seven. season right now yeah i mean it'll start in september um my relationship with sports well look you see uh, the league is a is a really rare show and i'm uh, so lucky to kind of be on that show with uh this amazing cast and the cast is pretty diverse you got mark duplass and katie Aselton, who's uh mark's wife in real life they're from the improv film they're from independent film and they had a lot of improv in their independent film but they were doing movies like puffy chair and katie did a movie called black rock and and the freebie and uh, so they they have their own thing nick kroll is more of a stand-up but a ucb guy super funny talented guy john LeJoie was this canadian soap opera soap opera heartthrob who then started doing a youtube channel and making these hilarious funny yeah music videos and then steve ran is easy as a A guy, and I probably am getting this story a little bit messed up, but the gist of it is, right, who was kind of working in the financial district in the Twin Towers. Uh, The 9-11 happened. He was like, wait a second. I've always wanted to pursue comedy. I never really did it. I want life is short. Let me do that. Gets into stand-up, and he's a stand-up. And that's the cast. Um, And so you have all these people that are funny, interesting, but not all improvisers. You know, I think if you look at – this cast of Silicon Valley, you can be like, oh, that's a lot of improviser. Uh So we got together and we do these, we improvise that show and, and they're very written outlines, like a curb style outline, right, curb enthusiasm and where you have like four or five paragraphs that says, okay, in this scene, this happens, in this scene, that happens, blah, 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 blah. And then you improvise the dialogue. So yeah, UCB is amazing that way because it's, I'm using that skill and making my partners look good and they're making me look good and yes, ending and, every tenant of improvisation is used in the league a hundred percent has your view of football changed over the over the course oh of yeah that? football's all i mean look i love football uh i've gotten more into football <laughs> but i also feel like i've been at the uh, standing at the uh, the precipice of football being a dark place i mean right. we, i it's mean the stories that have come out in the last three years it's changed so much yeah it's a dark place i mean it's you know domestic violence guns you know, um, sexual harassment, abuse, domestic violence. You know, um, cheating. Uh, to every level, it's it is WWE level, Disrespectable Like you know, it, it, it's you know, but it's also engaging too. But it's it's a rough sport. I mean, if you thought the XFL, I mean, the XFL is supposed to be the extreme version of football. Football is the extreme version of football.
0: Yeah, XFL had a guy named He Hate Me.
1: Oh, He Hate Me. <laughs> That was the name on my jersey. I went to go do a thing for the amazing. That you remember that? I went to do a, a charity event with Wriggle, and we all got jerseys. We could put whatever we wanted uh, on our back of our jersey. And I put "He Hate Me" on the back of my jersey. and No one knew what that was.
0: And Riggle's Wriggle's not fantasy football. Wriggle's doing the real.
1: You Wriggle, yeah. Wriggle's Riggle, yeah, the. I mean, he's doing it every. Yeah, it's hilarious to see him on there. I got to do a bunch of bits with him. And it's amazing. You know, it's such a fun thing that he's so ingrained in the NFL right now.
0: What is the What is the last? Uh, great piece of advice you've been given?
1: Oh, wow. That's a really good question. That's a great piece of advice. Huh? That's a, I always hate, I feel the pressure immediately to answer but I, Oh, right. I have this on the tip of my tongue, but right. I really want to give you a good, a good answer. Um, and think about what it was. um, Hmm. i think i don't know if i can I have like a like a what was it is a bomb mot like a, a bon mo a bon mo i don't have a bon mo uh, but i can say that the two things that i've been trying to do a lot and it's become from a lot of conversations and stuff like that uh i found a lot of amazing benefits from meditating ah. i wish i could do it more and i'm mad that i haven't i think having a kid now has really like like every bit of time where you're not with your child is this free time where you are trying to do everything so um so i try to do that and that it's always been an amazing place to kind of like the to do transcendental meditation to kind of just let ideas kind of pop up and 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 be with yourself and you can always give yourself that time and um and it's like, you're like, I, I think I always am like, well, I can't find 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night. It's like, well, I can find 20 minutes to surf on the internet. Like I can find 20 minutes to like give it to myself. And I think the other piece of advice that I'm working on for myself right now is to pare down a little bit. Like that's what I'm, my new focus is for, you know, I've been doing a lot of different stuff and I think I'm right now ready to, kind of zone in and, and find the next thing I want to really focus on and, you know for a while it was NTSF and we did that for three years and and now since NTSF when I, when I ended that I think I've just jumped into a lot of things I've done comic books I've done web series I've produced a lot of stuff that's coming out and I've done this special I've done a lot like I've done a lot of like one-offs for yeah. you know so I think you know the league ending and this it's kind of clearing out the clutter a little bit I'm a big like feng shui mm. in in physical life and in mental life to kind of just be like all right and now what's this new thing and um yeah so it and and the sound these are three things sorry <laughs> and and, uh, and i think this is going to sound so dumb and i reg- and i'm already regretting myself to do it but i think it's important to refill the tank creatively and i think it's like and I made a promise to myself early on. I was like, I need to always be up to date on what is going on. Like I, and I think sometimes when you get so busy with work, I can't watch the shows that I want to watch, and I can't go off and see shows. And 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 so what I like to do, like in moments like this, I'm like overloading on like I'm watching TV shows. I'm catching up on comedy things. I'm going out. I'm seeing people. Like I'm just like you because it's very easy to to not live life to kind of get so caught up in the work and i got to go from here to here and this is this and this so it's like and that kind of refreshes you and refills you so that's three little things that i kind of try to keep in in check all the time those are
0: great things to work on what what on on the flip side what's the first thing you tell anyone who comes up to you who wants to get into comedy that i have a quicker answer for I,
1: i i i think the the whenever anyone asks like how do you get into comedy what do you do in comedy I I, I say first of all there's no right answer to this and there's no easy answer like I think a lot of the times I get a lot of emails and people are like well how do I get into comedy it's like well there's no like there's no like back door like oh good thanks for just come here you come you know it's a lot of work and, and the only thing that I can tell you that I think is true is find like minded people that inspire you that support you, and that challenge you to make you better. And if you do that, and if it's making films, if it's hanging out with a group of people who are stand-ups, if it's about doing improv, it's about writing, any field, if you can find people that you have, that you can trust, that are really going to help you, I think you're going to find success. I don't think, you know, if you want to do, if you want to act, I think you got to go to New York or Chicago first. I don't think you should go to L.A., I think you should. I think you should come to New York, and I and I and I think you should work and work in a place where you don't have to re- be worried about being seen, and you can work under the radar. And then when you feel like you've got your feet and you know what your voice is, then go out to LA because LA is a cesspool, you know. And uh, and you if you if you don't know yourself and you're trying to find yourself, you'll get lost in the shuffle out there. But that's my whole thing: is just work with people that you really love.
0: Well, Paul Scheer, you've done a great job of following your own advice. Oh, thank. You. Thank you for making my day.
1: Oh, well, all right, well there you go. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for coming into my hotel room. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> Anytime. Anytime you're in this hotel. Yeah, all right. Come, up.
1: come on up. Last Things First.
0: <laughs> this episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbird Studios